For Spurs fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best Tottenham videos and podcasts, download the free Coys app now from the App Store and Google Play. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Come On You Spurs podcast. My name's Dan Tracy and I'll be your host for the next 45 minutes or so as we talk all things Tottenham. Because win or lose, we'll discuss the news. It's three up top this evening and that means Lee the line from the front and wearing the captain's armband is Carl. So Carl, how have you been this past week? Oh, well, I was looking forward to football being back then until yesterday. And then it took a, a rather sharp dive in the direction of, can we go back to pre-season, please? Uh, but other than that, pretty good. Yeah, I know what you mean. The Premier League was great on Saturday, not so much yesterday. But more of that in a moment. Not to mention, we'll also be joined by your co-host, James. James, are you looking forward to doing it all over again this week? Yeah, same as Carl. I think uh, I've, I've, I was really looking forward to having Tottenham back on my TV, but... Uh, I guess this is what we signed up for and, and it's how it's going to be. But yeah, good to be back and hopefully we can have a bit of therapy with you boys this evening. Absolutely. And also making his debut this evening is Chris, who can be found on Twitter at Logic. Chris, thanks for joining us this evening and I hope you're looking forward to chatting all things Tottenham. Yeah, really looking forward to it, guys. Thank you very much for having me on. A um, lot of optimism on Saturday, uh, not so much on Sunday, but there we go. There we go indeed. That'll suck the life out of you being a Spurs fan. Don't worry about that. But talking of being a Spurs fan, Chris, we want to know a bit more about you. So tell us about yourself. It's the hit segment which was launched last week. So it's a very, very quick fire questions. First one, when did you start supporting Tottenham? Uh, as my granddad, probably when I was about 10 years old. He's been a lifelong Spurs fan. Uh, no longer with us, but uh, I'm carrying on that tradition for him. Top man. And who was your favourite player growing up? Uh, well, more recently, it's probably been Bale, but back a little bit further, I did really like Adele Tarrat. Um Plays a little bit like me when I play football. Interesting, which might actually <laughs> lead into the last question, but between those two, who's your favourite player in the current squad? Oh, it's got to be Harry Kane, hasn't it? Yeah. I've just been... the perfect professional. Absolutely. And you just mentioned Tarrat. Now, the last question is, what player did you have a soft spot for, which is perhaps a little left field? If, have you got another one? Or does that one sort of carry through to that answer as well? <laughs> it was definitely to wrap going forward. Um, I always randomly had a real soft spot for Sandro. I don't know why. Oh, I chat. thought he was just, yeah, I just thought, I mean, we could really use a player like him right now. Um, but yeah, he was just one I always thought should be in the first 11 a few years ago. So he'd be my pick. Good answers. Right. That was the end of Test About Yourself for this week. Now let's get the social media bits out of the way so we can dissect Sunday and more in full. As always, don't forget to subscribe to the Coming You Spurs app where the podcast will be available each and every Tuesday morning. You can, of course, follow us across social media. We're on Twitter at COIS underscore COM and we're on all the major audio platforms. That's Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud. If we're not on there, let us know. We'll get it on there and everyone's happy. Right, let's get down to business. And that business, Carl, is an opening to the season that can be described as particularly flat. So for all the promise that a new campaign brings... Those first 90 minutes were a worrying insight into what might unfold over the next eight months. Yeah, they, they certainly were, weren't they? Um, you know, obviously, I think we'll dissect the game in more detail in, in a minute, I guess. But, you know, the first half, we, we wasn't great in the first half, but we you kind of saw some some chances there and where you thought, OK, if Jose can get him in at half time, maybe a little bit of a rocket send them out with a little bit more urgency, then you kind of thought the game is there to be won. Um, but I can't. You can't believe 
the side that came out in the second half and the kind of real lacklustre performance that was put in in that second half. Um, and honestly, some of the displays, you're kind of sitting there thinking, this is a first game of the season where you want to be hitting the ground running, making an impression, getting off to a good start. And quite frankly, you know, there were lots of players that you kind of said, they just don't look interested. They don't look like they want to work. There's no urgency. There doesn't seem to be this desire to like, come on, we're losing. Let's get ourselves back in this. Um, and, and as you rightly say, it's kind of, you know, that was a worrying performance to start the season. Um, and, and more of what we kind of saw in some games towards the end of last season, you know, you look at certain games like the Bournemouth game away where, you know, it was really flat and, and one of the worst games I've seen us play that second half performance has to be up there with that. Um, and as I as we rightly say, yeah, for me, that has, that has got me slightly concerned, especially given the fact that, you know, we're not going to suddenly go in and after that performance say, okay, right, let's go and buy three or four players now in this last remaining couple of weeks that potentially mean that doesn't happen again. So yeah, not good watching at all. James, looking at the personnel, which was selected an hour before kickoff on paper, is that a team which buys you a positive result? If that is so, have they underperformed or has Mourinho ultimately got that selection wrong? I'm not sure it was the, the start in 11 that there was there's the issue. I think the, the way that we changed our tactics during the game completely killed us. I mean, in the first half, I think we, we weren't as bad. Um, I think we, we created a few chances. You know, Deli Ali was getting some decent positions, and honestly, I think if we'd have carried on in that in that kind of vein, then we would have scored at least a goal in the second half because Everton were wide open at the back at times, and you just think that maybe if we we you know played the ball into Harry Kane rather than using him as a decoy runner every two minutes, we would have scored a goal. Um, but the the tactics in the second half really really confused me. Um, you know that everyone talking about Tottenham has been talking about this. You know this asymmetrical system that we're supposedly gonna gonna make the, the next big thing in football. Um, you know Matt Doherty coming in and, and being that attacking fullback. You know making all the chances down that right hand side and pushing Lucas Moore inside. It was meant to. It was meant to. You know just click and hit the ground running. And after for some reason after 45 minutes we abandoned it. Uh, you know pulling off Deli Ali. Uh, putting on Musa Sissoko on the right wing when you know you've got players like Ndombele and and Bergwijn on the bench who can who can come on and make a difference and and he's the person we turn to 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 play on the right wing. It it really confused me um, and I I don't know whether Deli Ali picked up an injury or whether it was just tactical, but either way we looked completely devoid of all attacking threat in in the second half. And it it just didn't yeah you know, it didn't play out the way that Mourinho expected it to and I can see why. Um, I'm not really sure what he expected with with the personnel that we had on the pitch. We had, you know, three players that you, in in midfield who who can't really play a pass uh, in Hoybjerg, Winks, and Sissoko, uh, and then and then players like Lucas Moura who who just don't really cut it in in the Premier League at the moment. So I, I'm a bit confused as to why Mourinho seemed to abandon his tactics and. Uh, and also confused as to why he, he changed the tactics in the way he did. I think we were always going to lack that bit of creativity and, and taking off Deli Ali was, was a bit of a weird one, if you ask me. So, Chris, if there was ever a case for a new face in attack, then Sunday's performance arguably provided that. So, if you're trying to take a positive or any positive, do you think such a meek collective offering in attack finally jolts us into the transfer market? Or is it a case of the more things change, the more things stay the same? 
Well, for me, I think when when you look at the the way we played, it almost looked like Kane was kind of crying out for that support right next to him. He was he was desperate for someone to to bounce the ball off and get him behind. Uh, you know, fizz a pass through. Lucas and Son they try and get close to him, but a lot of the time, it you know, Son gets the ball so deep and so wide and. The same with Lucas, really. They they have to beat. They either have to well. They either have to beat a man, or they have to run sort of thirty, forty yards before they're on the edge of the opposition box. And you know, even when they do that, they're they're crossing to Kane, and he's often marked by you know two centre halves, maybe maybe a full back as well. He's just not going to win those kind of battles. Um, so yeah, I, I personally hope we are looking at strikers. Um, the term kind of backup striker is being thrown around. Um, when I think in reality, it's someone to play alongside Kane. Um, he he kind of needs that support. I don't know whether that means Delhi drops out of the team completely, or we you know we go with two up top. But in this formation, Jose's going with it. It just doesn't seem to be clicking at the moment. And we've got a, such good attacking players when they're on form. It's just we're we're not getting the best out of them. It's a very fair point. But Carl, if we look at the game itself, first fifteen minutes, we certainly got a jolt into life as. Richardson pounced onto a loose pass. You'd have to say left Alderweire for dead. Now, thankfully at that point, we get out of jail because he spurns his effort. When you watch that, does that moment suggest that Toby has lost a little bit of sharpness or is it just a case of a hospital pass sort of being pushed in his direction? He's not really aware and it's probably a bit unfair to say, well, he's, he's busted already. So what do you think of that moment? I, I think there you've got two incidents that for me were worrying there. Um, you know, the pass from Ben Davies was a complete horror show, wasn't it? That that puts anyone in trouble. You know, no centre-back was expecting that pass. The more worrying thing when I look at Toby's aspect of his defending there was, y- you know, he's probably not going to have the pace on Richarlison. So where I was slightly concerned with Toby, especially given his experience there, was why he suddenly tried to go straight across at the ball and try to get it in front of Richarlison, where to me, he should have started angling his run more with the view to like, right, I I don't think I'm going to get there before you. So now I'm all about just trying to hold you up and not let you get through and have a one-on-one with a goalkeeper. And I believe, you know, Toby, with his experience, really should have started angling his run just to try and suddenly force him a little bit wider and then make him have to do something a little bit special. I think by trying to just go straight at him to nick the ball, he was always going to get caught out for pace there because, you know, Toby isn't exactly known for his lightning pace. Neither of our centre-backs are, which which I do kind of feel is starting to force Jose to push us back slightly rather than pushing on to teams um, because he doesn't want to get caught out over the top. But I think there all round there wasn't particularly great defending. But obviously, you know, the first thing that puts you in trouble is that is that horror show of a pass from Ben Davies. But you know, Toby could have done a lot better. I feel the one thing we got lucky was that soon as Richarlison went round Larice, he's on his left foot, and to be honest, he doesn't really have much of a left foot, which kind of would bring me on to something later in the game, which was starting to frustrate me, where we were allowing him to cut in from the edge of the box and get onto his right foot, uh, where we know he's dangerous. Um, so thankfully, we got away with that one. Um, and, and, you know, you kind of just thought, OK, we've got away with that one. We, we were creating some chances and you thought the game is still there. Um, so, yeah, we we did get lucky, but... That was, that was slightly bad all round. But you can't throw Toby under the bus single-handedly. You know, he wasn't expecting that sort of pass. Um, but thankfully, we got lucky. 
So James, let's focus on the two new signings. Last week, you said you were a bit concerned with Hoiberg's pre-season offering. I think it's fair to say he was not all that better yesterday. In fairness, when you look at the whole game, a very indifferent debut from the Dane. Very. I think that that's that's the whole thing that that we were a bit concerned about is rather than uh, the fact that you know we're talking we're not talking about a good performance or a, or really a disastrous performance. We're talking about uh, a player who just I couldn't really tell you whether he was on the pitch or not. Um, I, I I'm just I'm really concerned about the way he's being used under Mourinho. I I just thought that you know this was a player that was going to allow our other creative midfielders to to flourish and. In reality, the creative midfielders aren't flourishing at all, so I, I, it is a little bit concerning. For, for me, I'm I'm not really a fan of the system. You know, I've already mentioned the, how the, you know the, the the one fullback going, one staying. I'm I'm not I'm not conti- entirely convinced by it. Um, I'd prefer us had to have something in, in the Liverpool mould of having two attacking fullbacks, and then uh, a defensive midfielder that that can actually do a defensive midfield job and, and allow other players around him to to go ahead and do the attacking. Um, I think the way that we're playing at the moment, the way that we set up, everyone knows how that we're going to play. They, they know exactly what we've got to offer. And it's very one-dimensional and, and it all relies on whether or not that right wing back has a good game. And if, if he's you know not having a good game or he's marked out of the game, then we suffer for it. And uh, I, I'm just not really a fan of the system. And, and it also looks like we haven't really got much of a plan B if if that isn't going our way. Um, but yeah, in, in terms of Hoiberg, uh, it is only his debut. So I'm not going to get too uh, too concerned just yet. Um, but still, it's it's not ideal um, from where I'm sitting. And Chris, as far as Matt Doherty goes, he did admittedly sting the fingers of Pickford before the interval. But as James alludes to there, there seems to be a question regarding him playing as that sort of Suedo wing-back. Because it obviously works when he's a right wing-back for Wolves because he's part of a three. But with that extra, or sorry, with that missing defender, we've only got two and that more to cover, didn't quite sort of click yesterday, did it? Uh, I think it worked occasionally. But, I mean, we're looking for this kind of forward, you know, right wing forward almost as a an outball. And Everton picked up on it very early on. They they marked him out of the game, really, as, as James has said. And he's he's obviously very conscious that he's leaving this massive space behind. Um, what actually happened, I think, was Hoybier ended up sort of drifting over there to cover him. And it, and it kind of defeats the object of this whole kind of lopsided system. We're, we're obviously trying to create an overload down the right-hand side. And by the time the ball gets out to him, he's, he's obviously got Lucas going inside. And, and all the options kind of disappear from him. Um, I mean, obviously, he had that great chance, as you say, where he, he you know, he, he bursts through kind of underlapping, and I think that's what we kind of need to see if if we want to have success with this system. Is he going to form a great partnership with Lucas, who's kind of notoriously inconsistent and quite, you know, quite careless with possession? I don't know. I think I think there's a lot of work to be done on kind of gelling that right hand side if it is Lucas that, that Jose wants to stick with, because I think Bergvine on the bench is. He's kind of looking on and thinking, do you know what? I could probably do a better job. So, Carl, in terms of attacking endeavour, there were glimpses in the first half. The one game you'd want to see Jordan Pickford be his erratic best, he didn't sort of turn <laughs> up, did he? You know, he saves well from Deli Ali, saves well from, from Doherty. So, it's sort of sods law that we've been slating Pickford in other platforms quite regularly. True to form, he actually has a bit of a blinder yesterday, doesn't he? 
Yeah, it, you were sitting there because you're always thinking with Everton, aren't you? That your one hope might be that Pickford has one of his moments and just throws one in for you. Um, but yeah, like as you say, yesterday decided to have a game where he kind of was concentrating, came out, made himself big at some key vital moments uh, and we just couldn't sneak that one past him. Um, but then you, you would sort of say that after the break, he never really had a lot to do. Um, I did think, going back to Hoiberg, I thought it was funny when James said he didn't know he was on the pitch I could tell you one bloke who did know he was on the pitch and that was the referee um, and probably lucky that in other games I think if he's going to try and throw himself around the pitch the way he was yesterday then he might find we might find ourselves playing with 10 men because I was actually quite surprised at the amount of times he slung himself in to ridiculous tackles selling himself and you're thinking well you won't last long if you do that each game but um, yeah obviously you know it's always the way, isn't it? We always seem to have this history of goalkeepers who suddenly come to White Hart Lane and put in the performance of their life. And you watch next week, Pickford will probably just throw two in just for, <laughs> just for good measure. So, James, at that point, you're looking at the game, you're thinking it's not been a great 45 minutes, but Spurs are, you'd have to say, edging into proceedings. And you sort of almost think, oh, if only half-time wasn't around the corner, that momentum would keep going. That momentum... The brakes were put on completely from the restart because, I don't know about you, a bit of a head-scratcher when you see Ali come off for Sissoko. And like you said earlier, the, the system's all over the place. What on earth was going on there? Honestly, mate, I, I've no idea because, uh, it, you know, the, the game was screaming out for a, a creative midfielder. Um, I, I know, obviously, Lo Celso out injured. It was always going to hurt us. Um, but you think that the natural replacement to play in that number 10 role, if we are going to need someone to play there, it would be Deli Ali. Um, but I mean, you could say that Deli Ali wasn't performing, but I mean, at that point, he wasn't performing any better or any worse than anyone else. I'd say actually, he was probably one of our better players, and that wasn't that isn't saying much, but still. And then to to bring on Sissoko in his place is a real head scratcher because you know he's the kind of player that you want to bring on if you want if you want a bit of physicality, add a bit of physicality to the game, a bit of pace maybe, but not not when we're the thing that we're missing is that killer pass. Because I've I've never seen Moussa Sissoko play a killer pass in his footballing career, so it, it's a it's a real a real tough one to to get my head around. To be honest, um, we were always a little bit baffled by Pochettino's substitutions. So maybe it's just the thing that when you become Tottenham, Tottenham manager, you start making weird substitutions and and confuse everyone. Um, but I, I I really don't really get the theory behind. Um, that substitution and hopefully it, it was just a minor blip that that we're not we're not going to see uh, it, for, it much more from Mourinho um I, I hope we sort our system out more than anything you know we talk about personnel we talk about this that and the other I, I hope that we sort out how we how we want to play first um but I I just don't I, I can't see this this whole asymmetrical put all the all the pressure on our right back to, to do uh, all the creative creative work. I, I can't see it ever working, to be honest. That was a listener's question from Trevor Lloyd. So, Trev, thanks for chipping in with that one. He felt that that switch was the moment when things started to backfire. I'd have to agree, but, of course, it's still nil-nil at that point. Minutes later, though, a different story. So, Chris, if you cannot blame a substitution, you can certainly blame a goal for things being indifferent. So, a good delivery and a well-executed header from Calvert-Lewin, but how much umbrage should we be taking as fans or the team and the fact that they sneaked five yards in terms of that free kick positioning. <laughs> um, 
Personally, I, I, I don't think it's a massive deal. I think at the end of the day, as a team, you need to defend the free kick. And it, it's, a, it's not even a great position, particularly. It's wide, it, it's deep. You know, they're, they're obviously just going to lump it into the box. And I mean, credit where credit's due, it's a great ball and it's an even better header. But from a, from a Spurs perspective, I don't think it was a foul in the first place, particularly. It was, you know, touch and go whether Toby actually did get the ball or not. They, yeah, they've snuck a couple of yards for the actual kick, but when the ball comes in, you, you're looking at, you know, it's originally Toby's man and he gets caught underneath the ball and then you're looking to Dyer to just, you know, get an arm across Calvert-Lewin and, and put him off and he, he doesn't even jump for the ball. So I, it's a tricky one. I, I, to, to concede and lose a game from that kind of goal as a fan, I find very, very frustrating and I'm, I, I can imagine Jose's quite frustrated as well. Carl, in fairness, you know, we can moan all you like about where the ball should have been placed, but as Chris says, you've got to deal with it. And if you're looking at Eric Dyer, who wants to be a centre-back, you know, that's my position this season. That act on Sunday, it's not going to be on his highlight reel anytime soon, is it? Yeah, I mean, both him and Toby, you know, you've got two centre-halves there, haven't you, who, who you'd like to think possibly deal with that better, especially given that, you know, Calvert-Lewin isn't exactly Duncan Ferguson coming steaming <laughs> into the box, is he? No, so no. you would like to think that two centre-halves, big centre-halves, can deal with that. One of my frustrations around that whole goal, and it was something we were doing for the whole game, really, was giving away needless, silly free kicks all over the place. We, we seem to have, you know, developed this trait of... When when a guy's got his back to goal, our defenders and players go steaming in behind them, trying to kick from behind them and kicking their ankles and everything. And we gave away so many little fouls like that on the weekend um, where you're just thinking, OK, just just stand the guy up now. You don't need to do nothing more. But, we're, you know, we're over the back of him, kicking round his ankles and you will give away free kicks. And and every team in the Premier League has got a dead ball specialist that can put that kind of cross in. Uh, and when those sort of crosses are coming in, there is always the risk that you will concede goals from those. So I really do feel, you know, the easiest way to stop that kind of goal is not to give those silly little free kicks away. Be a little bit street smart, as Joe Jose would probably say, you know, get in the refs here and say they've just moved it. But then ultimately... You know, you know, say you, you've not got a power in centre forward coming on to the end of that, and, and we've got a big enough side that should be able to cope with balls into the box like that. So, James, we've got another listener's question. Thanks to Jonathan Williams for this one. He asks, Would a home crowd have allowed such a flat Spurs performance? Now, I'll, you obviously give the answer in a moment, but at the same time, is that a bit of a moot question because we aren't letting fans in at the moment? So, you know, can we only deal the hand we've been dealt? Yeah, exactly. You can only kind of work with what's in front of you, which is which is pretty cliche. But I, I can kind of understand what, what what you're saying though, in that the the fans probably would have been on on the team's back before half time, um, just from the way that we're playing. And then I think there would have been a bit of bewilderment when the the announcement went out that Sissoko was coming on at half time. I think, and then after that, as soon as the goal co- goes in, I think there's you know the fans are definitely going to get on their backs, but. Is how much of a how much of a difference does that actually make? You know, it, it's not like we we weren't trying to kick to get the ball in the goal, but I kind of understand what he's saying because the the players did look a little bit lackluster. And if you've got you know sixty thousand fans on on your back telling you to to make a bit more effort, maybe maybe that does get provoke a bit of reaction. Whether it would or whether it wouldn't means nothing now because there were no fans there. We did lose the game. We did look absolutely terrible. 
And uh, I think the only thing that, that does uh, get me thinking a little bit is is what do we do going forward here? Does does Mourinho stick to his guns and stick to the to the system, or does he abandon it after forty five minutes into the season? I think it, it's it's kind of make or break time for that system because it looked so bad that it would be interesting to see whether Mourinho, yeah, really does stick to his guns, put his money where his mouth is, and say that this is a tactic that is going to work for us, or does he take that performance? Uh, and 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 think look this this isn't going to work let's try something different um but either way the fans can't can't see another performance like that one and especially when the fans do get back into the stadium they're going to they're going to make it known that this isn't the kind of football that we want to see um unless of course it brings results but it just it just isn't by the way that that, that, that things are going chris at the same time what we're seeing and not just yesterday but if we take the last 6 to 9 games of what happened in last season is that the template from now on? Is that how we sort of build a football team in terms of Tottenham colours? If so, is this the double-edged sword that we've all kind of feared? Because us regulars on this show, me, Carl and James, we've all said that winning ugly is fine. But when you play like that and earn nothing, it makes it an even more bitter pill to swallow. So what's your take on it? Um, well, I, I think, like, like you say, a lot of fans were happy and prepared to accept the kind of ugly, ugly wins, the... The football that wasn't so good on the eye, but got the results. And you know, under Pochettino, you could argue that we we had the fantastic attacking football. We had, you know, great possession. We had quality on the ball in in Ericsson and you know Dembele. Um, and now we've kind of gone the other way. We've got efficiency, I suppose. We've got energy and, and ambition. Although you wouldn't look at that on Sunday. And and we we're looking at kind of you know setting up really to to stop teams scoring against us rather than looking at how we can hurt teams um so i think there's a huge amount of pressure on jose now because that kind of hasn't worked straight off the bat and, and the fans had huge expectations that you know this formation was going to click uh doherty and, and hoybier have come in to kind of fill the holes that were were very obvious last season and it just really didn't work and, and you look across you know at the, the other side with James Rodriguez and Allen and Ducore, they basically had a whole new midfield. You've been together all of five days. And these guys were knocking it around as if they'd been playing for years. So, you know, I think there's a lot of work to do. Is this the way forward? Is, is kind of pragmatism what we need? I, I, I guess, I guess. Um, I think there's just a lot of work to be done on the training pitch um, to get the best out of everyone. Because at the moment, I don't think it's, it's really working for any player. I mean, let's be honest, Carl, we're probably in a bit of danger of being hypercritical here because we said at the end of last season that being effective is better than being pretty. And that's something I still stand by. But when you look at Sunday, you think, God, there's got to be something more to it than this, surely. I think there's going to be times, isn't there? Now, now for me, I don't mind being hyper-effective if it's not pretty, if we're facing, say, Liverpool, Man City, United, Chelsea, or we're in a final and you're thinking, listen... I don't really care how we play here as long as we actually get that 1-0 result over the line. I think we all know that, yeah, yes, we'd accept ugly performances in certain situations. But there is still a point where you say, but then at certain times, we want to see us, you know, put our stamp on things and, and make our mark. And for me, I don't accept being at home to Everton and suddenly, you know, by the time half time comes, having sort of 25% possession, where they're having 75% of the game, 
that to me is not the sort of football I want to see. And, and that's the sort of football where I start sitting there thinking, you do have to start wondering, have we got Jose Mourinho, the winner, the special one? Or have we got Jose Mourinho, who actually does seem that he probably actually is now, football has left him behind slightly, uh, and potentially he's never going to reach those heights that he was when he first burst onto the scene at Chelsea, Porto, and that sort of side. So, again, we don't mind being effective. There's times where you can do it, but there's times where you actually want to see your team dominate a game be on the front foot, be pressing. Um, and a, against a team like Everton at home, and it's no disrespect to Everton, they're a good side. But at home, I want to see us attack them and look like we're on the front foot, we're pressing them, uh, and they know we're going to be in for a game here. Rather than, you know, at certain points in that game yes, on Sunday, it, it was a training session. You know, it looked like a training session for them where they were just going through the motions, you know, weren't really having a, you know, Buster bust themselves to get in anywhere. You kind of got the impression they, they, you know, if they really stepped up the pace, they could have scored probably a couple more. Uh, and we had no reply or no response to that. Uh, and for me, that's the worrying sign where I think there is still an element of doubt here as to what Jose have we got and have we got the guy that can turn it? Because we all know he needs some players. I get that. But then there is a point of that that's you've still got enough quality in that squad where I expect better performances than that on Sunday. So, James, if you look at the context of the opening day, obviously you're trying to step your stall out for the season ahead. Everton will now feel they put down a huge marker considering who they beat on paper. By comparison, what we presented to the viewing public was nothing. So how much of a worry is that for you? Mass- a massive worry, mate, because, I mean, I, I, I was thinking about this that question you know myself I was thinking look this 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 has been the game that we've all been looking forward to for so long they've had so many weeks to to prepare for this specific game because this is you know this is where you want to show the rest of the Premier League this is what we're about this season and there hasn't been a worse performance on opening day by another team I, I can't I can't see one across the board which is really concerning because you know this this was the the, the game that that Mourinho wanted to implement that new tactic. He's put in his two new signings straight away from the off. And um, we've just looked absolutely awful. And I think the the biggest concern for myself is I'm not really sure who this system is meant to get the best out of. Like who, who are we meant to be? And we've got the best centre forward in England and we're not getting the best out of him. Surely we should be playing to his strengths because he is, he, he is our talisman. He's our best player. Our second best player, you know, Hyungman Son. What, what are we getting out of him? We're we're playing him in a, in a deep line left midfield role where, if he does want to score a goal, he has to take on half the world. Who who we, we the only person you could argue that we're getting the best out of is is Matt Doherty, and and he's he's not fit, and we're putting the whole pressure of the entire team on him. So I I, I don't really understand. You know, if there was a system that gets the best out of Kane, you know, with someone running off him. Having having Ali or Son running off him, then it'd make perfect sense. But that isn't a system we're playing at the moment, and I, I can't really see a player in the team who who is enjoying playing football in this season, in this system or is is you know reaching the best of their abilities by playing in this system. And hopefully, Jose can see that and and he he will change something so that we are getting the best out of Kane, we are getting the best out of Son. We could even be getting more out of Deli Ali by playing him in a different position. Um, and, and ho- hopefully that he, he tweaks things and, and makes things a little bit different going forward. 
So, Chris, if we look at realistic finishes for the end of the season, it's perhaps unfair to put you on the spot after one game. But where do you see Tottenham ending up? With the squad we have, could you now see him just going all out for some form of silverware? Or is that too risky a strategy? Um, that's a very good question. Um, before the season, I did put us down as sixth place. Um, I, I thought we would kind of not discount the league, but I, I feel as though the, the wait for a trophy now is, is so so long and it kind of weighs over the entire club from top to bottom. You've got players like Kane, you know, talking about wanting to try something new if things don't work out and, and you know, looking to move on. And, and I think if he goes, then we've, we're, you know, we're, we're really, really struggling to, to compete. Um, the, the fact that we've got to play now sort of Thursday, Sunday for, you know, X amount of weeks, I think that could really be a problem, especially for the squad that, you know, even with our, our strongest 11, we, we look like we're not, we're just not clicking. So I, the league, I think for me is secondary this season. I don't think we'll be anywhere near the top four, sadly, as much as that pains me to say here. Um, you look at how Chelsea have strengthened, United have been active in the transfer market. I mean, you, then you're looking at Leicester and Wolves who've you know, gone out and made purchases that I'm kind of jealous of in, in Castan and, and Fabio Silva. So I, personally, I think if, if we can get you know, a, a domestic trophy, uh, even a Carabao Cup, I would take at this moment in time. Um, the Europa League is the big one, of course, and I think Josie will know that and I think he'll want to go all out for that one. Um, but I do think the league is going to suffer as a consequence. I guess it comes down to there's no guarantee. If someone said to you, Chris, now that Spurs would finish eighth, you think, no, it's not great, but 100% they would win the Europa League and it would get you back into the Champions League. Would you take that? I would take that all day long. So would I. All day long. So would I. But <laughs> I, think, I think you'd be hard pushed to find a fan that would turn a trophy down at this point in time because it's been that long. You know, if if someone says to you, you know, you, the league, the league position to me this season is is not relevant, but we're so detached from the rest of the competition. We, we're not spending. We're not, you know, well, we are spending, but we're not spending anywhere near what we need. And and teams around us are moving forward. And it, I really think we've we've kind of stayed very much the same for three, four seasons. You know, with the exception of one or two players coming in. So I think, yeah, a trophy is just too good to turn down. <laughs> Which, when you look at that scenario, Cole, obviously, if that happened, some people would still complain about the league finish, which is their right, and that's fine, but you'd win something, which is great. However, you can't be seen to just be throwing the league in September and thinking, it's fine, we're going to win the Europa League. Football is never, ever that simple. So what do we do? How do we play out this season? Well, as you say, the, the league is your best chance for consistency, isn't it? Because anything can happen in a cup game, you know, and we know all too well that, don't we? You know, we've played many an underdog side and come unstuck. So it doesn't matter how much you want to prioritise a cup competition, there, there's no guarantees you can win it. So you, you get 38 games to try and prove yourself to be a good side. So top four to me has to be the priority um, alongside the UEFA Cup. But, you know, it, as the guys I think are saying, we, when you look at things, we, we just look so far short of the rest that I, I can't even... At the moment, you're struggling to see us possibly even getting top six at the moment with the sides that are there and around us and the way that they're playing. 
um, the way they improve. You know, you've also got to worry, you know, as we'll probably go on to, you can't see us adding the quality that we'll need to, um, where you'd sit in there and think, well, okay, there's a good chance that the chairman's going to get his checkbook out now, and we might see two or three players who actually come in and push those in the first team, or we're going to go and get this, you know, we're going to go out and actually do, we do what we need to do to get someone like Bow to come. You know it's not going to happen. We're probably going to sign some binman from Russia to play back up to Harry Kane. Um, you know, you might add one more midfielder, but again, it's not going to be someone of the quality that walks into the side or, or gets, you know, regular minutes. Um, and from what we can see, the side and that squad that we've currently got just doesn't have it within them to actually, you know, even win some of the games against the teams around them or just below them. So I, I think we could really struggle in the league this year, you know, especially while you've still got people like Lucas Mora getting regular minutes. I mean, I don't know what he has on Jose, to be honest. He, he must know where there's a body or something like yeah. that in terms of Jose because when you play 21 Premier League matches with, with not a single goal, um, you question how you're getting ahead of the likes of Steve Bergwijn, um, who's had a really good start to his career at the club. Um, it, it, you're just worried. Like I say, and that sort of performance, given it's the first day and you think you want to stamp and make a mark, it really worries you as what's coming. So, Carl, stay with you, because that actually leads on to my next question. So, there's three weeks or so to the end of the transfer window. If you're Jose Mourinho now, and you're just about to knock on Levy's door after this podcast, and you're pleading now to get some new names, what are you asking for? Oh, Messi, Ronaldo, <laughs> Val. Right, right. Now, look, now look down the list and give me some more yeah. realistic answers. Um, if I saw what I'd seen there this weekend, you know, I'd be sitting there thinking Grealish is there. Um, to to go and get um, Ings is someone that I think you'd look at. The, the biggest problem we have is that we won't spend that sort of money. You know, everyone thought, oh, why can't Spurs get transfers over the line? Well, because Levy will go to someone like Southampton and say, Danny Ings, what would you like for him? They'll say 35 to 40 million. Daniel Levy say, yes, see you later. Or he'll go in with, well, I'll give you 12 million. No. It was 35 we said we wanted. Oh, well, what about 17? No. And in the end, they just get fed up. So I can't see us bringing in anywhere near the quality that improves us enough because I don't see us spending the money. You also got to look at one of the problems around that is we're just not getting rid of anybody. You know, why are we not bolstering our funds by letting people go? It's clear Tangai isn't part of Jose's plan and he isn't a player that he wants he wants to use. So why did we not ship him out and do what we needed to in the summer? Danny Rose hasn't been wanted at the club for two years, yet we've still got him on the books. What? Why have we not just, you know, you know you've got a son. You might just say at some point, Danny, we're paying you off just to get rid of you. Um, or we're going to, you know, the transfer fee is going to be something so silly that a team will take you. And then we, we can spend some money. But. The whole club just seems to be a mess in how it's going to be run transfers. I'll be honest with you, I can't. I can see someone like Deeney coming in, Troy Deeney, uh, and don't get me wrong, it doesn't excite me, but I could accept it given we might get a decent year out of him. But again, is that going to be enough to do what we need? No. So you really worry and think that you know we don't have a board that are going to go and do what they need to do to suddenly put us in a position that that we can kind of improve from where we are now. My two would be, 
Ings and, and Grealish. And, and I would go and break the bank for those two right now because I think if you were to sign them, you suddenly at least then things start looking up because Grealish is a creative player. Ings is a decent striker to play two up top with Kane. Or, you know, Kane could drop a little deeper. You've got two players there that strike fear into everybody. But that is wishful thinking. And James, if you take those two names, Greenish and Ings, realistically, do we get either? Uh, no, we don't get any. Um, I, I, I absolutely agree with Carl. I think um, the, the the player that the the game was absolutely crying out for this weekend was was Jack Grealish, uh, and that's that's because whenever he gets the ball, he's 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 the only player I've ever seen like it. And it's a bit far-fetched, but the only player I've ever seen like it is Messi because whenever he gets the ball, he doesn't think about a sideways pass and he doesn't think about anything other than there's a player in front of me and I'm going to take the ball around him. And that that it has a psychological effect as well as an, an actual effect on the pitch in that he gets everyone else on the pitch going. He, get, he, gets, he gets everyone else on the pitch moving forward rather than, you know, someone like Winks or, you know, who... who, who if they can go forward, they will. But if they can't, they won't. Grealish, he just—he only ever has one thing in his mind, and that's taking the ball towards goal. And, and immediately, you can see the players around him when he gets the ball; they all start moving forward. And uh, we were so stale and so lacklustre yesterday that you can't imagine someone like Sissoko doing that. You can't imagine Winks doing that, taking someone on. Um, and you know, I—I—I I, I, I don't think it's realistic because Villa can realistically ask whatever they want for him right now. That they would, they'd probably ask, you know, your 80, 90 million pound for him, and we know our owners, we know that isn't going to get going to get paid. So we need a player in that mould, and uh, I'm struggling to see anyone out there who who could do that job. But I'm I'm willing to be surprised, and I'm I'm praying to be surprised by the end of this transfer window because we haven't got the squad to be able to compete, and the teams around us. They, they've they've looked absolutely brilliant. You know, Chelsea's new players look great tonight. Wolves looked absolutely fantastic tonight. Everton were great the weekend. Even Arsenal looked really good at the weekend. So it's a little bit of a concern for us that we just the the squad we've got at the moment. It could be mid table. Chris, if the unthinkable happens and we get no more new faces between now and October, does that stoke the flames of derision even further with our fan base? If so, what could ever come of it? Because the frustration may be fair. But is it almost all for nothing? I think, personally, if, if we don't get any more faces through the door, it's a disaster, honestly, because there's there are going to be injuries. You know, you're looking again, if Kane goes, we're again, you know, we're in big trouble again. There's, you know, we can rely on Lucas like, to, a, to a degree. Um, we can rely on Son for a couple of goals here and there, as he did last time. But we really, really desperately need that striker. Um you know, midfield again, attacking midfield. I think, like the guys have said, is absolutely critical. We're 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 relying again on one player, and it it, it was the guy who wasn't there this weekend. It was Lacelso. We we look we look into him as as the same way we kind of look to Ericsson, just to come on and all the players pass the ball to him to just say, there you go. You know, create something for us because no one else has got the 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 guile and the creativity to to do it. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, if no one else comes in, I think we're in big trouble in both the league and, you know, any cup competitions. Right. That brings us nicely on to our recap of episodes four to six of All or Nothing. And the main talking point from this would be Danny Rose and his chat with Jose Mourinho. So, Carl, I know this caught your interest. Would you like to give us your take on how you viewed that chat? 
Yeah, you know, obviously Dan, Danny, um, Danny's never shy of being up front and saying no. what he thinks, is he? Um, and obviously, you know, he went into that meeting um, with the view that he was going to go and get what he wanted to out of it. Um, and I know you, you know, I'm sure Jose wouldn't have a problem with anyone going into the manager and kind of saying, look, you know, can I have a chat? You know, what's happening? Um, the the bit I felt where he didn't do himself any favours was, you know, th- there wasn't this attitude of like, listen, you know, what can I do to get back in this side? You know, I really want to play. Um, I want to help the club. Um, it was basically just go in and then throw your teammates under the bus by, by calling some of your teammates shit, um, you know, shit in training, shit in matches. And whether people can like that or not, or agree with him and say, well, he's right. Yes, you might be right, but let's face it. You can't go into any working environment and people can say football's different. But if you're not telling me that someone like, you know, Ben Davies isn't watching that or some of the other teammates are not watching that and thinking, oh, hang on a minute, you know, steady on going in and basically in front of the manager trying to throw me or someone else under the bus. There's only ever one winner from that. Um, so I just felt, you know, it was a little bit poor, you know, no issues with him going in to try and find out what's happening or where he stands. I just think the attitude that he went in with just probably wasn't the right one. Um, and, yeah, he may look back on that chat and probably think, you know, yeah, maybe I didn't approach that the right way. But I think it just showed you where the club were with him and where Danny was with the club. You know, I think was, you can clearly see both parties just need to kind of separate and move on. Um, you know, I, I did think some of the stick was harsh afterwards, whereas, uh, you know, anything from Milan, because it, it was clear that there obviously was some interest from AC Milan for him, because in, in that chat with Daniel Levy, you know, he clearly says, well, no, they need to sell someone else before they before they can make a move. So there clearly had been some contact there. Um, and obviously, if you're being told that it's Bournemouth or Milan, then you quite rightly would be searching for well, what's happening in Milan, because I don't fancy going down to Bournemouth, thank you. Um, but again, as I say, it goes back earlier, you know, we shouldn't still have the guy on our books anymore. You know, that should have been dealt with um, because it's clear, you know, the relationship has gone. But it just seems that with that, that's how we do it, isn't it? You know, Daniel's not prepared to let anything go for anything. Now, James, I know you haven't done your homework on this topic, but I can ask you about Rose not getting a squad number. So things have been said by him, and I'm sure more will come in the near distant future or, you know, when he's retired, and we'll get a whole new perspective on all of this but is it now simply a case where both parties just need to split up move on regardless of his length of service just thanks but let's just start afresh yeah nail on the head mate I think it's it's all a bit um he's been a bit of a dick and Tottenham are being a bit of a dick now in that you know the whole the whole not giving him a squad number him only finding out through the news you know you'd, you'd like to think that you know we could keep our noses clean here and uh, and just you know, let let it go. Yeah, give him whatever. Give him a squad number. Who cares? What is it in the in the grand scheme of things? Because he's he's going to go anyway. So you know, give him a squad number. Get him off the books. Everyone's happy. But with with that kind of little tit for tat, not giving him a squad number, um, it, it it gives him something something else to say against us. You know, classless that we didn't give him a number and. Not not having a chat with him first, all this it, it just gives him more ammunition for for his next interview in the, in the press. Um, next time, you know, when he gets his move away, I'm sure he'll have he'll have things to say about Tottenham. But 
really he's he's been he's been a great servant to the club and he was he was a, a real pivotal player in one of our one of our best teams in recent times so I, I I didn't have anything bad to say about Danny Rose. It's kind of going that way where the relationship might uh, sour a little bit. Um, but but I'd like to remember that him as, as a great player who served us really well. And I'm just hoping that everyone kind of keeps their noses clean and, and he gets to move away rather than it, it turning into a big fiasco and, and him being able to, to criticise us and us being able to criticise him. It'd be nice just to have a amicable end to the relationship. I, I, I still say, I still say, Dan, his book is on pre-order the minute I know he's got an autobiography <laughs> out. Because the stuff that's going to be in that is going to be very revealing. If we can call it, I don't know, A Rose Amongst Forms or something. We've got the title as well. I'll do the, I'll do the forward for it. We could be on to a winner here. Write that down. If you're listening, Danny, yep. we're on. <laughs> <laughs> right, OK. So, Chris, also in episode six, we saw Eric Lamena go out for a training session and come back within 30 minutes pretty much summing up his career at Spurs. On watching that, it made me think of this question. Do you think we're closer to an Eric Lamella testimonial than we are him departing the club? <laughs> uh, I feel for the guy in a way because, you know, he is a trier. He, he's full of energy. He always gives 110% and you know what you're getting from him. But I think we're probably going to end up with a testimonial for are. him. It's getting, getting that way, isn't it? I mean... <laughs> Yeah, you're right. I, you know, I don't dislike the the guy who was a man or as a footballer, but you just think, you know, for what we've spent, for what we've got, it's not really return on investment. And then you sort of you get to another season, and if anyone else says this is his season, I just I can't see it. So <laughs> it's just further diminishing returns. It is though, isn't it? I mean, but if he doesn't get booked in his own testimonial, then there <laughs> needs to be a, there needs to be something going on because he needs to get booked at kick off. I think that's true. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and then sort of just do a solo goal just to cap it off his career or something, and then, then get injured while scoring. That'll top it off. But anyway... He's probably, um, he's probably got a good deal on the testimonial because he's only played half as many games as a, a kind of normal player would. Well, that's true, yeah. I mean, does he even deserve one? There you go. Yeah. yeah, does he have to do a 20-year stint instead? Uh, that's a very good question. <laughs> right, Cole, how's your Bulgarian football knowledge? Oh, it's, it's up there, Dan. I can tell you everything about what's coming this week. Fantastic. Now, unfortunately, we don't have the budget to send you to Plovdiv, but the question is, will we get out of there unscathed and into the next round of the UEFA League qualifiers? Yeah, I, you know, I have to admit, you know, I don't see us having any problems here. You know, I, I think their manager's come out saying he, he's very confident, isn't he? That he, you know, he doesn't play the lottery, but the one thing he can tell you is they'll beat us um, in, in this game coming up. But I, I would like to think that as, as though we're disjointed, I, I don't think we'll have problems getting past it this lot um, and then on to the next game. Um, but I'm sure in, in true Spurs traditional fashion, it, it could be a sort of young boys' night where it doesn't start that well and you're sitting there very worried by the 70th minute, but then we'll suddenly do what we need to uh, and we'll be into the next qualifying round. Well, James, Cole mentions young boys. How many of them will we need to play against the Bulgarians? Very nice link, by the way, Dan. Thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think we've, we've got to mix it up a little bit. Um, we, I mean, we've, we've, got, we've got such a congested fixture fixture list that you'd be surprised if you didn't turn the team around and, and maybe even use a different system. I, I think I'd like to see us get, get the job done nice and early uh, and, and get Harry Kane off the pitch because I've just got that, that sickening feeling that his, his ankle's going to go in this game and it's going to be, it's going to be season over in game two. Um, so hopefully we can, we can throw a few kids out there 
Um, you know, your Jack Clark, your Ryan Sessignon, if they're fit, get get them on the pitch and give give them some minutes. Uh, and and hopefully they they are good enough footballers to get the job done. Um, it's it's not going to be your, your typical tough atmosphere. I think it'll be, you know, a little bit pre-season again. But this is where the, the those young players need to step up and the squad players need to step up because we've got a lot of a lot of games of football to play. Uh, and hopefully we can, as Carl says, we we've got enough quality on the pitch just to just to get this game under the belt and then look forward to the weekend. And Chris, if we were to catch up again by say the end of the transfer window, can you still see us being in the Carabao Cup and the Europa League, or will we become victim to some awful piece of fixture scheduling? Oh, I think you know the answer to that one, Dan. <laughs> um, I'd well, I think Jose will obviously have his priorities. I think. The Europa League is is the only real way I think we've got of getting back into the Champions League. I think we're too far away from the top four. So the Carabao Cup really is, is a bit of an inconvenience, to be honest. And sure. I can imagine him playing playing the kids in that one as well. Um, so, yeah, I think there's going to be plenty of rotation. So by that theory, Carl, can you see the Carabao Cup being the sacrificial lamb, as it were? If we look at Liverpool and their Qatar efforts, you know, they sort of split the difference and have one team with the kids playing Villa, the other team in the Middle East. Can you see something similar doing for us? Yeah, I can do, you know, because we can't play that amount of games and kind of put the sort of players out that we need to. Um, So you have got to kind of scrap one off potentially. You know, you'd like to think maybe that if, if, you know, we're going to play some some of the fringe players, some of the kids, and you would like to think hopefully they, they could have enough quality there to see us through those early rounds maybe. But I, I think you go into it saying, listen, if they don't, then okay, well, that's one less headache uh, that, that's gone and out of the way. And hopefully we get through that game unscathed. Um, and we've still got our key players in place you know, again, the sort of fast goes, this would be exactly the time where you'd think Troy Parrott could have come in handy um, over these, you know, this this little period coming up, especially if you weren't going to have brought someone in to maybe sort of give Kane some backup. But we've got to go. I prefer to see Kane rested and, and give more a run up top and then put, you know, someone like Bergvine out wide just to let him get his legs fresh. Um, because I, I don't want to see Kane used in this sort of game because you know it will be the sort of game that you likely see him be on the floor holding one of his ankles. And then, as Jose would say to his coaching staff, we're fucked. <laughs> right, on that note, James, we've got time for one round of predictions. We can either do Thursday night or we can hot foot it straight to the weekend. What do you want to do? Ooh, let's go for the weekend then. Good answer. Right, I'll start with you then, James. How are we going to do away at Southampton? Uh, I'm going to go for uh, one all. I'm not going to be very uh, optimistic, I'm afraid. Um, but yeah, I say we're going to take the draw. OK, and yourself, Chris? I've just got visions of Danny Ings leaving Toby on his backside again. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think one all as well. One all, OK. And yourself, Cole? I'm going to unfortunately be the downer here and I think we'll come away uh, beaten 2-1, I'm afraid. Uh, I'll go for two all draw. I can't see us getting a win from St Mary's, but, you know, we are where we are, unfortunately, and we are at full time. So, I need to do the admin. First up, I need to thank Chris for a sterling debut. I hope you enjoyed that one, mate. Thank you very much, guys. Really good fun. Let's uh, hope we do it again soon. Yeah, absolutely. We'll love to have you back on the show at some point in the season. James, thanks for, thanks for patrolling the middle of the park this evening. Yeah, good to be back. Well, I think we all, we all predicted Tottenham wins just a week ago and now look at us. But <laughs> what, what a difference a week can make, eh? Yeah, big difference to that. And Carl, thanks for running the channels tonight. I hope you'll be back with me next Monday.
Well, I might have got the call from Daniel well, before, yes. before then, mate, if things get that bad. But uh, no, I, I look forward to next week. Uh, and let's hope we can kind of have a little bit more of a positive discussion by the time we next meet up. Yeah, fingers crossed, mate. Right. With that said, it just leads me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. And as always, come on, you Spurs. For Spurs fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best Tottenham videos and podcasts. Download the free Coys app now from the App Store and Google Play.